All right, let me go uh, toss the cat out and close the door. So many of the guests of After Hours AM are not necessarily the views and opinions of After Hours AM, its hosts, its staff, or any of its affiliates. and we'll be sitting in the co-host seat with me and you can also find, find us at Minnesota Paracon this October. I do believe it's 12th, 13th, and 14th. Don't miss us there doing live remote. Come hobnob with us and hopefully, fingers crossed, Eric will be there. Yeah, I will do my darndest. It will be uh, a wonderful I thing. I flap my arms or drive my car. Uh, one of those two or you can fly in. Yeah, I mean, there's that too. I can always pick up an airport, man. man. So, I mean, you know, there's that. But uh, that being said, we got to get to what people came for, and that's some true crime. And, of course, this true crime, like always, is brought to you by thecriminalcode.com, your one-stop shop, whether you're into serial killers, whether you're into true crime itself, whether or not you want to read the doctor's notes, which is super rare. You don't get that everywhere. That is Miss Dr. Miss Clarissa Cole's own website over there. And, boy, does she do a great job each and every week adding new content again this is brought to you by the criminal code thank you speaking of i did do that profile on andrew cunanan so that is up i did that this last week as oh very cool requested. yes very cool i'll have to go over there and read that i have not had a chance with the show expansion planning that man it has just been fever pitcher on here trying to get it all everything in a row for that but uh, man, this is true crime, and you got a ton of headlines. I'm looking at them, and they're all super cool. You, I, I would like to start with Walmart because I can. Yes, please do that. Walmart is back in the news. What is oh. a Wednesday without Walmart? That's right. Oh. Wednesday without Walmart is not a great place. That's a no, woeful a, day. Walmart in Florida. Oh, my we God. You got, you're covering both bases right there with one story. It's like I, a permanent we, location. No, this, well, this one is actually near nearest, I think, to you, Eric, Missouri. Is that nearest to you or is it nearer to you, Joel? It might even be in the middle. 
Um, is it right in the middle? It might be in the middle of us, him, uh, Eric and I. It would uh, make a triangle. It I'm would. guessing, uh, yeah, it's probably really pretty close. The triangle of death. Uh, well, yeah, well, there's that, too. Obviously. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's the triangle of death, but apparently in Festus, Festus, for goodness sake, Festus, Missouri. Festus. Um, yeah, razor blades have been discovered hidden in the handles of Walmart shopping carts. Wow. Golly. Put Golly there by gee. Walmart itself? So, so, <laughs> so, well, no. <laughs> to keep shoppers alert? <laughs> it's a test. <laughs> and, you they know. kept dropping off. They were falling asleep. What can we do? It, what it, if we put razor blades yeah, in the we'll just, we'll That'll just, keep awake. We'll just kill them off. We'll kill off the dumb. Well, apparently a woman named as Michelle Patterson felt a prick on her finger when she used a sanitary wipe to clean the handle of her cart and it was a razor blade, and they found several more carts in this location with razor blades wow. inserted in the handle. They're looking to kill people off. That's what they're uh, doing. Why? Why would someone you do cannot that? cannot just... Walmart now. I shop there. You shop there. Everyone shops there. But here's the deal. We cannot buy Chinese goods at an affordable price if you kill us before we go into the store. Or just okay. cause massive bleeding because <laughs> nobody wants to continue at that point. We just can't do it. I mean, we'd like to, but if you kill us before we have a chance to shop. Or cut off our fingers. Yeah, yeah. how are we supposed to reach? <laughs> you can't reach to the exactly. shelf. Exactly. How are you supposed to get your money if you have no fingers? Well, and plus like that, the thing that really bothers me is that the handles of the car, that's where people put their kids. You know, you well, set your kids. it depends kid. on how much you love your kids, I guess. Yeah, oh, you know, true. if you don't love them a whole lot, here, sit on the razor blades. They'll be good for you. It's just, I mean, hard for me to fathom uh, the razor blades and the cart handles. But Dude, I have the police, seen. The police didn't think it was meant to harm people. But they think it was. Just a little wake-up call? <laughs> they, they were saying that they thought that they were placed there by a shoplifter who was using them to remove tags or open packages. But why would you put them in the handle of the car? Well, I suppose so. It's not conspicuous while you're and shoplifting. And why would you do multiple cars? Well, yeah, exactly. Why? Exactly. Why multiple cars? You know, unless, there's a, unless there's a whole conspiracy of shoplifters coming in. Going, How else well, do they mark the cart, though? You just want to get gang. lucky Yeah, it's a gang of them just coming into Walmart saying, we want our, our Chinese goods. For free. For free. For free. <laughs> we don't want to pay. Are you nuts? No, I've wow. hung around a Walmart parking lot after dark. Every single one of them I've seen after dark, it's a sketchy place. It is. Does this yeah. shock me? Oh, absolutely not. So, so the two Ooh. options are either it is some sort of device, a contraption for to to aid shoplifting, <laughs> or it's some sort of booby trap along the lines of putting, you know, whatever, Drano in the preparation age. Uh, I don't know. Like like has been done before. Yeah. We don't think it's Walmart themselves doing this, do we? No, I would imagine. What do you think, Clarissa? Do you think it's Walmart themselves? One of the employees Uh, disgruntled. I'll show you. (laughs) Yeah, but like how would you not get yourself, you know, like you never want to be on cart duty again? If you're the one that puts the, the razor blades in the, maybe it was actual revenge plot. Against one of the cart grabbers. Maybe. 
maybe like that that guy that I asked out and didn't yeah. want to go out with me, that cart yeah. corral or, person. Or I was passed over to be the cart corral man, and now I'm really, really mad, and now I'm stuck here in apparel. I, <laughs> I guess anything is possible. <laughs> you I'm know, I'm stuck... <laughs> Stuck monitoring the changing room. <laughs> you wouldn't believe the used underwear I find. Yeah, I mean, anything's possible. I mean, it's just strange to me that the police sort of asserted, oh, it must be for, for shoplifting. And I'm thinking, yeah. you know, I would think they'd keep the razor blades on them if you, it was for shoplifting, you, you would personally. Think, you would think that would be the case. You would think that would be the smart case. But or they would have the removed it. As they were egressing. Exactly. So as exactly. to not leave evidence, which could right. have DNA right, on Right there. Right there. You know, I don't, I'm not sure now if they would go so far to run DNA analysis on a shoplifting case. No, not on shoplifting. Plus, I got to say, like, okay, have you seen packaging lately? If, if somebody is able to okay. have a razor blade and it takes me a razor blade a hacksaw and like a crowbar <laughs> to get certain things let me tell out you man packaging. let me tell I you i never do it in a store it, it can no longer be called plastic no, no. It, it has evolved into something else now infused a kryptonite i agree i have to run over some packages with my car <laughs> to get them open <laughs> Harder to exhume than H.H. H. Holmes under concrete. Oh, uh, yeah, exactly. And we'll get to the top of next hour, but yeah, <laughs> Sorry, definitely. Uh, but yes, and, and uh, what I was going to say is it takes Superman these days to open a package anymore. Uh, yeah. Even as something simple as, you know, uh, a pair of, uh, for instance, uh, razors for shaving. My God, yeah. the packaging is like horrible to open. You're like, what? What are you people doing here? Why is this package 25,000 layers thick? Just No, what? why do they need all the I mean I I guess I know why they need it, but yeah, I, I went what? to get some uh, like Excedrin migraine the other day. I get migraines occasionally. Trying to get that open while you have any oh, sort of pain God, going yes. on. Come on. And torture. It is torture. Do you want to talk about torture? Buy toys once. Ooh, Take a crack at no. that packaging. And then get it open and realize you needed batteries anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you mean they're not included? What the hell? <laughs> they're never included. Never. Even if the package says included, I still buy batteries. I yeah. like my favorite are when you when you get anything that comes with a remote. Uh, typically, they do provide a battery, but it, it's a battery that was made by handless dwarves in the Philippines. <laughs> I mean, like 20 what, years ago? Are you what saying there's... What brand is that? You know, like, what? I've never heard of that. And you pop it in, it lasts for five minutes. Yeah. Yep, there's your free battery. Yeah, it's a demo battery. That's all you get. Demonstration battery. That's it. And it's made with the cheapest materials known to the free world. And no offense to either Filipinos or dwarves or people with no hands. True. <laughs> or handless True. dwarves, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you I know, mean, I'm sure you have tons of those listeners, the handless I dwarves, dwarves summon, variety. Summon that from the air. Maybe, maybe there are none of those. Let us hope. You just never know. You just never know. All right, we've beaten Walmart to death. We well, have. It's time to go to Florida. Let's now. go to Florida now. Let's go check out Florida. This story, and I apologize to the Florida police, this story delights me. 
Um, <laughs> just does. So in Sumter County, Florida, it is a retirement community. And there are a lot of those in Florida. But it's it's like a an upscale. It's called the Villages. Yeah. It's an upscale uh, retirement community. And they they <laughs> sorry, it's like I'm laughing while reading it. They had a SWAT raid. What? In this retirement community, which had to have been hilarious. Um, I'm sorry, it just had to have been. You I'm picturing that at my people? mother's yeah. place. Yeah, I'm, I'm picturing that right now. Grandma sitting there with a, in a rascal scooter and the SWAT people bulldozing through the door. Don't move! Yeah, this is a raid! The whole vehicle, yeah, the whole, the whole thing. through the window. <laughs> <laughs> like they, Christmas vacation. Yeah, and then know? the old man looks at his old wife and goes, What? I only eat, I only like soup. <laughs> so the SWAT team goes in, and honestly, props to them. I do love cops. I, I'm not, not saying, and the, what they found now was a, ca- like a cachet of illegal drugs and... No. A golf cart chop shop. <laughs> golf cart chop. Was one fueling the other? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how, how does this racketeering scheme of theirs work? Is, well, is, I'm, you know. I'm not sure, but it was reported, right? This house was reported as a, quote, problem location. A problem location. Miscreants. It's, <laughs> it's a retirement community. It's a retirement community. Wow. Yes. So oh, along with drugs, they found an entire attic full of golf cart parts and other stolen items, which led them to believe that the location wow. was used as a golf cart chop shop. And in the villages, a golf cart is the main mode of transportation well, for well, the sure. residents. And there's lots of residents. There's like 100,000 people in this Wow. You, you know, they do call Florida God's That's waiting room. Amazing. <laughs> hundred thousand. Think of that. It's a city. It is. Yeah, it's huge. The population of Akron, Ohio. My goodness. But you know what they you know, like I was saying, they call Florida God's waiting room. So does that surprise me, that population? Not really. They're all waiting. These people weren't all that old. They were fifty three, forty five, thirty eight, forty three. And the outlier, 63. I think they had to rely on the 63-year-old to live there. That was their in yeah. right there. The 63-year-old was their in. That's how they got in to the market. He, he was the king okay, it's a It's a market. Like, okay, I'm sorry. Explain this to me. Like, how do you, how do you run a chop shop for, like, what do you go up to random people and go, is that golf cart working as well as it could be? Do you, do you have a governor well, on that well, That's thing? kind of funny because – I'm actually a mechanic during the day, and I work on golf carts occasionally. So, like, do you try to upsell the, people with, like... No, 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 no. <laughs> that, you know, they with bring... Parts? Well, no. I'd we... like some meth or heroin to go with that <laughs> You need a bump while you wait? Here. No. <laughs> but no... How many we... cylinders has that thing got? Yeah, yeah. Um, generally speaking, uh, when we do have to work on a golf cart... Um, they provide their own parts, generally speaking, because I don't carry them on hand, and they do not want me to upcharge them for getting said parts. But that being said, yeah, we work on them occasionally, and most of them are electric now, golf carts. They're kind of getting away from the whole gas thing, and it is a pain in the butt to work on them. and And the problem with parts, though, is they are worth gold for golf carts. Really? Oh, God, yeah. Especially the old gas models. They are worth like their weight in gold. Seriously, 
you cannot find a lot of the old Subaru Robin parts because that's what a lot of the engines were, Subaru Robins, and you cannot get those parts hardly anywhere anymore. <laughs> well, my favorite. You can get them here. Oh, yeah, I, now I'm going to have to call this place up. Now, I just bought my new distributor. I, I love the title of the video that accompanies the story. Deputies raid problem home <laughs> in the villages. And this is armored, you know, like Hummer. I see that. They got Coming automatic through. rifles with them. You oh, know. man. Battering ram. They're, yep. <laughs> they're ready to go. Take on that problem home in the villages. We got this. <laughs> like, what Don't were they going to do? You know, fight them to the, the death for yeah, the parts? Yeah, exactly. A tussle ensued. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. that is funny. Oh, they don't even mention who the actual resident is. No. It's Unrath's uncle who is in poor health and in no position to argue with all this. Or is he? They don't even say, <laughs> they don't even say how old he's like he the is. godfather. Or Eric, or is he that poor health? <laughs> or is he maybe he's their Kaiser Sose? Maybe. Uh, He's the brains behind the operation. Exactly. Exactly. Professor Moriarty. Mm, Right there, man. Right there. I I believe that. Well, that is a funny one. All right, let's move along. All right. Well, this is uh, this is (laughs) this is also Florida. It's a very odd story. It's not. I mean, it's technically crime, but I wanted to pass it on because it's so weird. So. Uh, a Florida man died of a gunshot wound nearly 60 years after the bullet was fired. Oh, that was okay. Slow action. <laughs> that, that is a murder at leisure. Time release bullet? Yeah. <laughs> it's, the ME ruled it a homicide. Wow. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Yeah. Well, that's that, that's okay. Now, the perpetrator, is, are they even alive, the person that fired the bullet, number one? Well, okay, to, so to this be, man, you know, his, his, na- his name is John Henry Barrett. He was shot in 1958, and he said he, at age 19, he was shot by a friend during a fight because, you know. That's what friends do. Did. Yeah. Well, they did in 1958. Yeah, anyway. that's a 1958 thing. Yeah. Yes. I'm mad at you. You're my friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, the friend who was not identified in the Emmy's report served time in prison, um, I guess, for this. Uh, court and law enforcement officials told the newspaper that they couldn't find any records with information about the suspect or the shooting. So we don't know if there's going to be any sort of uh, arrest. But Barrett himself, uh, the one who died, yeah. worked for three decades as a pastor and was a former executive director of a housing authority. And... Um, Wow. He didn't speak often about the shooting, but I guess he used it as a way to inspire other people because he was somewhat disabled by it. Wow. Look at me. I'm and, so tough. Bullets can't no, stop Well, me. he said that the injury kept him from working in the fields, which is why he became a pastor. Ah, interesting. So it changed the trajectory of his life. No pun intended. Yeah, no pun intended at all. <laughs> and then it you know, Wow, that, that is definitely murder at least. That leisure. is quite a story, I must say. Very interesting. I'm going to shoot you now, and 30 years later, you're going to die, okay? 60 years. 60, 60 well, sorry. It's, 60 it's, years later, you're going to die. It's 59, but oh. who's counting? Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's actually pretty inspirational in a sense in that um, shoot somebody because in the of this damage because he was par- partially paralyzed, 
Uh, we didn't say he died of an infection and complications uh, yes. relating to the gunshot. Yeah, I was going to say, so uh, how did the bullet end up after all these years killing him? Yeah, sorry about that. It was an infection. It was near okay. his spinal cord, and it did cause an infection that caused him to pass away. Well, Amazing. that ain't cool at all. That poor guy. I you know. know. He thought all his years he dodged the bullet. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Love the laugh, Eric. <laughs> that was like but, a little laugh. Oh, of course it was. So, but but on the other hand, the other the bright side of this, and I'm I am committed right these days to looking at the bright side of it. He was relieved from working in the fields, and sure. who knows that might have killed him a lot earlier. Well, I got you know? one more horrible pun. It appears his friend was not shooting blanks. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, it's bad pun uh, night here. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, he made it to seventy-seven. Sounds like he was an important figure, probably in many people's lives. As a, a one-shot wonder. Sorry, oh. <laughs> sorry, I'm Good done. Lord. I'm done now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He... I apologize to the audience for picking that story. It's it's a mix. It was a mixed blessing. Yeah, as it were. Well, um, he didn't have it, to do hard labor. You're right, Eric. He, he chose. He chose to make the most of it. He chose to change his life for the better as a result of this, and uh, he lived a good long time—sixty years almost—with that problem. And sure, you'd like for him to live longer, but hey, if he had a full and satisfying life at 77, then who's to say it wasn't in the plan? Yeah. You know, you know yeah, exactly. the, big, the big panorama. Hmm. Hmm. Let's right? ponder that for a minute. All hmm. right. We Lutherans. All right. Well, that's a good one. I actually, I like that. One I do, too. Because it's it's so odd and it's thought provoking. It I couldn't is. believe that it actually was. I mean, obviously, it should be ruled a homicide. It was just, it was just so confounding to think that it took 60 years for that to happen. Yeah. I'm amazed they don't address the guy, the the shooter, right? Yeah, I, and I agree. Say, is he alive or is he not? What are they going to press charges? I'm, what are they yeah. going to do? Yeah. And exactly. if he already served some time, let's say for assault with a deadly weapon, mm-hmm. like if he already served some time, that it should. I mean, the charges are different now. Mm-hmm. Now it is a homicide, but maybe since it was so long ago, they just dismissed it. I don't know. Well, Technically, yeah. would it be double jeopardy? But no, because it's a different crime. You're saying. I, yeah, that, that, I guess that's what I'm wondering about. It couldn't be double jeopardy because it's a different you crime. Know, but look at this, though. A guy gets beat up in a bar, right? Let's just, say, just, let's just use this scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, five years later, he dies because of the traumatic brain injuries that he received at the hands of these people beating him. The people might have already served their time for beating the guy, and they're out, and they're loose. They're on parole or whatever. He dies, they get recharged in murder. You see that all the time. The, the charges yeah. come back as murder now because he died from your actions. Exactly. So, But now we're talking six decades now, and who's to say that they even have these files laying around the office anymore of this crime? Yeah, it, it, exactly. You know? And when you look at records this old... And in, it, yeah, and one more thing, Clarissa. When, when, when the police go out, they're serving the community, and they have to decide whether... It serves the community and the people to prosecute at this advanced age. Yes, I agree. And and does yeah, does it if this man already served time for some sort of assault charge uh, and he's very elderly at this point, they they do. They have to weigh sort of the the good of 
you know, is this uh, the furtherance of justice or not? Yeah, because they need to have a trial and, you know, I mean, is it is 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 it too taxing to the taxpayer to have to pay for just for someone that's probably going to pass away, generally speaking, in the next couple of years anyway? And the other right. thing is, is those records, of course, are written on papyrus. So <laughs> it's In very, they, they very used hard to, to read. You know, back then. I've seen that, I, I'm going to tell you a little secret. That's the year I was born. And, really? Yes. And so, you know, all of my original records are written in papyrus. And, it, you know, it's hard to read. Sure. And, and it's fragile. Well, that, and I thought maybe for dispatching back in those days, they were using smoke signal. Yes, there was that. <laughs> and, you know, we'd ride into town on our dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, like in all seriousness, seriousness though, those records, uh, because I do have to look at records from very far back sometimes, yeah. it's amazing how degraded the records do get depending wow. on how they're stored, how many yeah. times they're shuffled around, how many times they're photocopied. Sure, um, and, and microfiche, you know, I've seen records you know? from the 70s that are almost indecipherable. Yeah. Well, you know, and microfiche doesn't last forever either. So Exactly. You, you know, but we got to run a break, everyone. We do have a new band with us, and this is the Christopher... David Hansen Band, guys from my neck of the woods, and they are uh, originally, now they're performing right now in Nashville, but they're nice enough to allow us to use their uh, their music, and we thank them for that. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this, guys. <laughs> Hey, listen after hours AM, and if you're listening to us via podcast, make sure you like us, follow us, review us, tell your friends about us, tell grandma about us, and keep listening. This is Jen McGowan, founder of Wayward Souls Promotions, a company dedicated to helping individuals, teams, radio shows, and others that are seeking exposure for the individual events, conventions, and shows. We offer a wide variety of advertising, such as web-based articles, social media posts, podcast advertisement, and so on. Contact us at paranormalpromotion at gmail.com, visit us on Facebook at Wayward Souls Promotions, and visit our website at www.waywardsoulspromotions.com. Hey everybody, this is Joel Sturgis, and did you know that After Hours AM and America's Most Haunted have a great new website out there? You're going to want to visit americas-most-haunted.com. There you can get all the new content from all the writers for America's Most Haunted, as well as the great haunted headlines everybody loves each and every week, as well as catch After Hours AM live right there, along with podcasts, past shows, and get to know your hosts, as well as contact us all in one stop. You're going to love it. You're not going to want to go anywhere else. So come to americas-most-haunted.com today. Anavar Media LCC is a dedicated team of professionals committed to helping business development scale and protect their websites, mobile applications, enterprise software solutions in the Northeast Ohio area. 
locally owned since 2012. Our client-centered value has truly sets Anavar apart. Contact us today to learn how you can get 25% off your first project. Call them at 234-380-4852. Again, that's 234-380-4852. Or visit them at www.anavar.com. Again, that's www.anavar.com. You're listening to After Hours AM. Do you have a question for the guests or even the host? That's really easy. Go ahead and email those questions to AfterHoursAM at gmail.com. Are you feeling like picking up the phone and being part of the show? Call us at 612-326-6874. 612-326-6874. Come be part of the madness. The number you have reached, 911, has been changed to a non-published number. Welcome back to After Hours AM, everybody. Hopefully you just you really enjoyed the Christopher David Hansen band. They are our bumpers tonight. Man, I really like them. You should check them out, Eric. They infuse rock and roll of blues really, really effectively. And I like that kind of music a lot. You're a blues rock. I, I kinda am. I I like sometimes I like that bluesy, soulful rock and roll. You know? It's just kinda Absolutely. Kind of like a Stevie Ray Vaughan kind of feel. Almond Brothers. That's right. Old school, baby, old school. Eric Clapton. That's on and right. On and on yeah, on exactly. On. Well, welcome back to After Hours AM, everybody. I'm your host, Joel Sturgis, right along with me. Eric Olson. And Dr. Clarissa Cole. And we were given a new moniker by the listeners, and if I could pull this off, I will be happy. We are the three, the 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 triple sleuths of true crime. I can't remember. It's, it's written there on... Uh, on the Facebook, it's really unwieldy to say is the problem, you know. Although I do thank everybody for the um, warm wanting to give us. <laughs> it is triple true crime sleuths, is what they'd like to call us. Ooh, that is oh, pretty that is tough. Yeah, that's pretty. Un- <laughs> I mean, I like it. I do. That's that's pretty hard for radio. So triple true crime sleuths may not be as used as often as the three amigos of true crime. So, but thank you anyway, guys. Love you all, and thank you for listening and adding to the show. But getting back to true crime headlines, brought to you again by thecriminalcode.com, your one-stop shop for everything true crime, including you have the rare opportunity to read the doctor's notes. Clarissa gives her own thoughts on each case, gives you her makeup and her workup, of what she thinks is really going on in the case. So, again, that's thecriminalcode.com. Thank you, Joel. Oh, and speaking of listeners, I just wanted to uh, shout out that Susan Messino is listening. Jeez, I don't know who that she, is. She, she has no mercy, and she says there's no statute of limitations on murder. I wouldn't think so. – I think she's right. There is not. And big hello to Susan. 
I love Susan Messino. You know, we had her on the show in the wee early days of the show after hours AM. This is true. She yeah. was one of the first guests Hi, and, <laughs> you know, really, uh, really enjoyed having her on. So getting back to true crime, though, man, what yes. you, where are okay, we going next? This, this is super scary to me. I don't know why, but it really freaks me out. And this, this actually, I did not realize this had a connection to Florida, but it does. Oh, no. Um, yeah. Um, there Florida. Is a man, yes, Tampa, Florida, a Tampa, Florida man. Um, he was charged on Friday with one count of interference with a flight crew. Um, he was on a flight from Seattle to Beijing. Okay, so very okay. long flight over very the ocean. Long. Yeah. And in the middle of this flight, he went into the bathroom, and when he came out, he tried to assault the uh, the flight crew, and he tried to open the emergency door. <laughs> what? He got it halfway open. Really? Yes. And they had to subdue him by he was hit over the head with two different wine bottles, one of which broke before they were able to subdue him. How often do you see people first try to open up those doors? Number two, who has been bludgeoned to wine bottles except for in the old 1930s movies? Take that. No kidding. And breaking a wine bottle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's some that's some tough glass right there. Yeah. That glass will kick your ass. Yes, well, have they determined that he was on something or was he D.B. Cooper? This is like I'm thinking that, I mean, this is just my brain running amok. But if he went into the bathroom and came out a little crazed, I'm kind of mm. thinking he was on something. Yeah, um, you meth know? or something. Yeah. 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 Like I'm going to go do some crack or meth or coke <laughs> in the bathroom. Well, and... you, you think that probably coke would be your biggest suspect because you would have right. thought they would have smelled no, the other stuff. Yeah, you, you know. Oh, unless he was shooting up. Uh, I think I'm going to go for a walk. <laughs> yeah. You mind? I'm going to take a wing walk. You mind? I've seen it on shows before. Watch this. Yeah, I just need some air. Did I see, you know, what's his name? Oh, my God, from that, that episode of The Twilight Zone. Oh, oh yeah. Was it William, William Shatner? Shatner. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I love that one. Oh, that's one of the greats. Then later on, John. John uh, yes, yeah. that's who did, yes, who did it, too. Yeah, great, great episode of The Twilight Zone. I, I, I love this line from the story. Sparking a wild brawl, brawl with flight attendants and passengers who used wine bottles and zip ties <laughs> to subdue <laughs> the combative man. Where did the zip ties? Well, Joseph D. Uh, Huddock, the fifth, is that what I'm reading correctly? In fourth. Fourth was charged Friday with one count of interference with flight crew. Members for allegedly assaulting two flight attendants, Delta Air. Oh, damn, Delta. Again, you guys are having nothing but problems. Delta Airlines Flight 129. Wow. Did he say I'm a bomb? He should have said I'm a bomb. That would have stopped everything right there. You know that, right? Like they wouldn't have subdued him? No, they would have said, oh, we got to stop. He said he has a bomb. Well, I guess they did turn around. They turned around and took him back to SeaTac. Wow. Airport, yeah. Man, well, hey, he deserved it. And plus... Yes, he did, but the rest of the people on the flight didn't. My gosh. No, that and, you know, wasting alcohol is never appropriate. I don't care who you are or what circumstance. Wasting it yes. is not right. We, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, well, we don't know if the wine bottles were full, so... <laughs> well, I sure hope they weren't. I, I'd feel bad for that wine. I know. I agree. Mm. 
So Wasted that one, was, uh, you know what it, they should do? There should be some sort of code or something you got to put in to open the door. Yeah, well, you would think so. I guess, but then in an emergency, who remembers that? You know what I mean? Ooh, well, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's got the code? Who has it? I don't know. Oh no! And he was going. Yeah, he, he was in the air. Decides or a, a key, something. Something. Yeah, you wouldn't, wouldn't think he'd just willy nilly just open it. Yeah. No, I know. I mean, that's it's terrifying to me that he got the door halfway open before they were able I, to stop him. Astonishing, actually, is what it is. It's, yeah, it's, it's so weird. Well, I. Looking to the future, I would like to know why he did what he did, what, what, what he was trying to achieve, and what chemicals propelled him in that direction. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe he just wanted to practice his wing walking. Maybe he's one of the circus performers or at an air show. And he was just nervous about an upcoming event and thought he would go out for a little walk, you know. Just saying. Perhaps so. Maybe, maybe you're, you just never maybe know. Maybe it's as simple or, as that. Or it could be the you know, the drugs in a system. Yeah. Absolutely crazy though. I mean, I, I'm not sure what he's gonna be charged with overall. Uh, but I'm thinking he'll probably do time for yes. that. Oh, yeah. Oh, I yeah. Hope so. oh lots of yeah. it. I sure hope so, yeah. Like Eric said. I hope he does lots of time. Throw the book at him. Let's keep him out of vehicles. <laughs> Separately. Yes. Of sort of any kind. <laughs> Maybe a clown car would maybe, be okay. Maybe. Yeah. A go-kart maybe. occasionally. A lawn tractor. Or maybe a golf cart from that nice place <laughs> in Florida. <laughs> <With> stolen part. <laughs> from the chop shop. <laughs> okay. So this, this is a story that I did want to get your opinions on. It is more serious. But I've been, I've been kind of trying to avoid this story, but it's just popping up everywhere. So I can't. I'm um, putting on my serious face. I am right yes. now. No more joking around here. It's a serious business. Serious, serious, serious hat here. Um, they they started a an opioid court, is what they're calling it. Okay. Um, it is the world's first, or not world's, but the U.S.'s first opioid uh, crisis intervention court in Buffalo, New York. Um, they started it in June, and it is a court that is aimed at trying to rehabilitate opioid addicts rather than just imprisoning them because opioids have become such a crisis and, and they really have become a crisis i mean even in schools uh you know the heroin and percocet they're, they're all opiates they're all sort of one in the same you know people think of of heroin being different from percocet and that's not really the case they're both opiates they're both kind of from the same sort of thing yeah so it's a court that is looking at instead of just sentencing people to time trying to get them into programs well, so what are, what are your thoughts? Well, Eric, do you want to go first or shall I go first? Well, I'm basically, the, though at heart I'm an idealist. I'm in in terms of law. Uh, I'm I'm much more of uh, concerned with the practical. That's why, for example, um, I've always, 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 you know, been in favor of legal abortion. It's not that I'm in favor of abortion. It's not that I think it's swell. And I want to encourage people to engage in it. But we know that in the real world, people will. And if they are going to, then it should be legal and it should be safe because otherwise it leads to death. It leads to all kinds of problems, botched abortions, et cetera, et cetera. So using that as an analogy, 
since opioids are such and right here too in Ohio, I mean everywhere. It's everywhere. It's nuts. It really is. And and, and we're talking across the socioeconomic spectrum. This is in every corner of American society by now. And all ages, too. It's really quite horrifying. So if we're going to acknowledge the extent of this problem, then I'm all in favor of trying things that are a little bit different, of going out a little bit further. And, yeah, I I mean, 100 percent, I agree. The goal should be to keep people alive because it appears that once they're on this track – I mean, in so many cases, it's just a it's just a railroad to death. So let's keep our fellow citizens alive. A lot of times people get caught up in this through, I won't say no fault of their own, but relatively little fault of their own. They have an accident. Something happens. They're prescribed. Yeah. The prescription, the prescription runs out, but the addiction does not. And they switch over to much cheaper uh, you know, street drugs that uh, do more or less the same thing or at least similar things. And once you get into street drugs, now you're talking about variable dosages, unpredictable dosages, etc. And that's usually the biggest problem, just not knowing what you're getting and not knowing what the dosage is. Mm-hmm. And if we can stop that, then hell yeah, I'm all in favor of it. Now, I want to I want to start my thought by asking Clarissa, what's the national protocol for these people? Are they considered criminals? Are they considered victims? The people that are addicted to opioids. Uh, By and large, I would say that the the circles that I run in anyway, they'd be considered criminals um, as well as the you know. And but my my problem with the, the whole thing kind of piggybacking on what you were saying, Eric, is is that a lot of these drugs they're not coming necessarily from the street. The, the the vast majority of these drugs are coming from doctor's prescriptions. Well, that's because there's people out there that will get their script and then sell it, you know, piecemeal sell it, one pill That's true, time. but the vast majority are prescribed these legally. That's what people yeah. don't understand yeah. is that yeah. they're doctor shopping and doctors okay. are giving people – like I have seen prescriptions before for people that shall remain unnamed that I know – a hundred Percocets a month. Well, let me tell you a story. Are you kidding me? When I was you know? in my early 20s, I sprained my ankle kind of bad. And, I mean, it was just pretty bad. I thought, oh, go bear, go ahead. It's ballooning up. And this doctor, get this, and I'm this is probably about 1997, 1998, gave me thirty a, a bottle of 30 Demerol tablets. That's insane. To, That's insane. To uh, help me with my sprained ankle, which I'm like, really? Do I need that heavy of a drug? And I went home. I took a man. Ooh, come fly with me. I mean, I'm telling you, I was flying high. So I understand how somebody could get hicked, uh, could get hicked, <laughs> could get hooked on that kind of medication very easily because it's there and you can get it. If you're in pain, you take it. It gets... Um, becomes addiction relatively quickly. Yeah. Uh, you hear it all the time. Sports athletes uh, are a fall prey to this quite a bit, especially football players. But in my opinion, the people are not criminals so much as they are victims. Victims of two things. Number one, uh, really a prescription society that's run amok yeah. that would allow these extremely potent, extremely addictive substances into the hands of anybody, really, that has an ache or a pain. 
it was overprescribed for several several generations. Uh, it, it's I mean today if, if you up until about ten years ago, it was nothing to get like oxycontins if you if you hurt yourself. It was nothing. And it's still it's still like that though. Well, I don't understand. I, I want to say that they've tightened it up quite a bit. Um, oh. Made things hard, made it harder to get them. Yeah, uh, I I know here where I live, it's a little bit harder. Uh, you have to get a, a written script from the doctor, take it with mm-hmm. you. Uh, I do believe they ask your driver's license, things such as that, to try to keep curtail the the, the people that are selling them on the street and just getting another script right away. Yeah, to curtail that whole thing. But I, I I really believe that the people that are going to court as the addict are a victim of not only the the medical society that we have, but also the street dealers. So by and large, they are the victim, but they are the ones directly paying the penalty. How many doctors do you see behind bars for over-prescribing opioids? And that, yeah, and that's to me where the rubber meets the road. And that's what makes me so upset about this. And, you know, like I said, the, the circles I run in tend to see them as uh, the perpetrators, the, the ones that are addicts. Well, that's I, law I enforcement. That's law enforcement with their exactly. rah, 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 I, I BS. I, do yeah, I see yeah. the doctors as being criminal? Yes, I absolutely do. The, the fact that I myself know a variety of people that get these outrageous scripts. Like, okay, I get migraines, for instance. This person that I'm referencing also gets migraines. A prescription for 100 Percocets a month. Do you know what I get for my migraines? 800 ibuprofen. And that, and like 800 milligrams ibuprofen. That's what I get. Yeah. There has to be. Are you kidding? You would think that medical science would devise a painkiller. And and I know I'm going to throw it out there. Marijuana has been promising in that department, but everybody's afraid of the old devil's lettuce. Why I don't understand quite, you know, it's 2017. Why we still view marijuana as being this evil, evil substance when people are flat out, like Eric had said, killing themselves on opioids. Flat well, out there killing are pain themselves. protocols, though. I mean, there are very, very good the, pain protocols the, for, for really managing chronic pain. Yeah, there, there really are. And um, but the problem is, is getting to the law enforcement end of it. The people that go to court as the addict. Um, it's from prosecutors that want to appear tough on crime, tough on drug mm-hmm. crime. Yes, exactly. They want to polish their own resume. I put this many drug offenders behind bars. By and large, from what I'm reading and what I'm seeing here, America is still more interested in incarceration rather than rehabilitation. Right. Until that flips over, and I'm hoping that this pilot program will be that first step to flipping that over and maybe going more towards treatment and getting people off this than putting them in jail. I think we are seeing a change in the mentality. Um, I don't know if it's national yet, but it's certainly here in Ohio. Um, like I say, it's everywhere. It's small towns. Yeah. It's rural. It's big cities. It's everywhere. Well, look, and it's the yeah. sheer volume of deaths is what is really making people sit up and take notice. And, and, you know, Eric, not to cut you off, but I was just schooled the other day. Do you know what community right now is being hit very, very hard by the heroin epidemic? The Native American population. Sure. 
I didn't even think about that until yep. a good friend of mine uh, happens to be Native American, and, and we got on the subject, and, and he had said, it's decimating my people. You, you know, it's the new quote-unquote, in his words, firewater. Sure, and exactly. And it is absolutely decimating my people, and, and uh, we're trying to get a handle on it just like you are, but we have needles on our main streets. Mm-hmm. From people shooting up, something has to give here. And obviously, what we are doing is not working. And Eric, go ahead, man. Oh, I was just going to say, Clarissa, you're you're absolutely right that that I probably misstated um, or mischaracterized the problem in its entirety because it is also you're you're 100 right. Lots of it is this abundance and ease of access, at least for a while, to actual prescription or even actual legal prescriptions, but. Around here, anyway, what I keep hearing, the story I keep hearing, including a really good friend of ours who lives right down the street, her two nephews overdosed within the last year. Gosh. And it it, it was – the tale was a kind of what I said where they started. They both had some – I think they were both in an accident, and they started on on painkillers, legal painkillers. The prescription ran out. And but they were both addicted by that, and they wow. switched over to heroin. Yeah, and because heroin is so cheap, you know, it's yeah. super yeah. cheap these days, and so you know that's that's the go-to substitute. And heroin, anything that's cheap is you know is going to get abused, and uh, it, it that I so it's a combination of the. Still, availability, I do think it's changing. I, I think the word is getting out there, but obviously it hasn't changed enough based on what you're saying, Clarissa, in terms of uh, you know prescribing and ease of prescription and ease of access. But then it's also uh, where it has been cut off or where they can't afford it anymore or, or it's just run out, whatever the case may be. With the addiction continuing, then switching over to uh, heroin, for example, other other drugs too, but – uh, heroin being the most obvious and, and the best known, I would imagine. And um, and then you do run into the issues with, you know, what is the dosage size? You don't know. And, uh, you know, so on and so forth. At least with prescription, as long as it's the real thing and not fake, which I think is also a problem, um, at least you know what you're getting. Well, what are the doctors facing penalties? Just getting their privileges to prescribe meds taken away? What What are they doing legally? Uh, not not much and not enough. I mean, a lot of times it's not that their licenses are yanked. That's very rare. Um, yeah. And, that you know, that's usually for repeated offenses. Usually there's just some sort of oversight for a while where someone comes in and monitors the prescriptions that they're giving out. Um, but but to me, the, the problem isn't just simply a matter of the prescriptions that are being given out. It's the fact that there is very inadequate education for that. Like when you like Eric, like you were talking about, when people get an injury um, and they get these prescriptions, is the doctor talking to them about the addiction potential? Are they talking to them about a discontinuation protocol where they wean them off like all of this stuff? should be spoken about with the patient and in even with psychiatric drugs too like people that go to get uh, antidepressants from their doctor they don't talk about these things either i've talked to people just in random conversations that they don't know they're supposed to discontinue you know in a stepped fashion they just cold yeah. turkey go off and yeah. they wonder why they have all these terrible side effects yeah. the doctor never talked to them about it what's going on here you know well, you're right and i think some of this now 
really does, if not most of it, falls right back on the medical community, not doing their due diligence to make sure everybody is well-informed about how deadly and how addictive these medications can be, not only the opiates, but like you had said, the mental health meds. They're not Um, educating the consumer of what the potential, if you do this, this is the side effects you will incur on yourself. Well, and giving giving alternate choices too. Like, I mean, when's the last time you spent more than say fifteen minutes with a doctor? And and I've I've actually argued back and forth with my doctor before about certain meds that they wanted to give me because I knew about what? the potential of certain things. And I said, hey, I don't want to like let me. Can I throw out a drug out there that uh, has issues sure. for women? Um, for instance, I was on birth control for a very long time um, to regulate my cycles. And being on this birth control, uh, once I hit age 35, I wanted to go on the birth control pill that does not have estrogen in it anymore because the risk of uterine and breast cancer associated with the birth control pill with estrogen goes up through the roof after you hit age 35. So when I hit age 35, I went to my doctor. I said, I want the mini pill like they take in Europe because it doesn't have that's, it doesn't have estrogen in it, so it won't have the side effect, hopefully, of giving me cancer. And she looked at me like I had a third head <laughs> and said, well, but that has a higher chance of pregnancy associated with it. I looked at her and said, yeah, it has a 2% chance as opposed to the 1% chance yeah. that the other pill has. I think I'll take that percentage rather than the cancer. Good point. Good point. It makes Melissa. sense to me. Before yeah. we get to the top of the hour uh, – Circling back to the story, what is your take on it, Clarissa, on this court in Buffalo, New York? Um, I think that it is a, a very good uh, – it's a good step in the right direction for sure because I, I think that treating these people like they are just straight-up pushers or criminals is the wrong way to go. Um, and, I, and I think we should have more and more things like this specifically for, you know, like opioids. That's It's such a tough thing to kick. Um, I just, I hope that they follow up and keep following up because it's kind of a, it can be sort of a lifelong disease, you know, so a few months may not be enough to manage this. Yeah. And it's killing people. I think, um, both you and Eric said it bluntly and I agree with you both. It is killing people. It it is not in any way taken care of as we're talking. There, There is no silver bullet to cure the problem because God, it just keeps on growing. It really does. And, you know, when people don't understand how it's going to kill them, you know, like you look at Corey Monteith, Keith Ledger. Yeah. And and like when I had my surgery um, that everyone knows about from my uh, deviated septum, I did no painkillers. I I went with just Tylenol, the 800 milligram ibuprofen. Mm -hmm. Simply because I I don't tolerate it very well. It makes you sicker than a dog is what it does. Mm -hmm those high, high potent pills that makes me personally ill. But that being said, guys, I hopefully that our country and, and other countries, of course, we're not the only ones struggling with this, but hopefully some resolution can be reached and, uh, and everyone can live longer and healthier. And maybe there will be an alternative to managing pain in the future. And I also want to throw out there, make sure you visit the criminal This has been brought to you by the criminal That is the talented and beautiful Dr. Clarissa Cole's very own website. Yeah, she's more than just a pretty face. She is one of the best in the field. Don't get me wrong, guys. She'll never say that to you, 
But I'm telling you, she knows her stuff. And if you want to have the rare opportunity to read the behind the scenes, the doctor, the doctor's own workup on these various serial killers and mass murders and you name it, she's got it over there. But everything but the kitchen sink, it's a rare opportunity to cl- truly climb into the mind of madness. And I'd like to thank Dr. Cole for making time to come with us again this week, which otherwise would have been free time. I don't think we thank you enough, Dr. Cole, for your expert oh, analysis. Oh, no. I love talking murder. Come on. And we will be right back right after this. <laughs> Mr. Jeff Mudgett, star of American hey. Ripper, as seen on History Channel. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this. Back to After Hours AM, everybody. I'm your host, Joel Sturgis, right along with me. Eric Olson and Dr. Clarissa Cole. Also known as the Three Amigos of True Crime. And tonight we have a heck of a show for everyone tonight. And most of you have seen the show American Ripper last night. And we have tonight very, very special guest, Mr. Jeff Mudgett. And as always, I will allow Eric to tell you all about Jeff. In history's new eight-part series, American Ripper, which premiered last night and runs Tuesdays at 10 Eastern and Pacific, the great-great-grandson of Chicago serial killer H.H. Holmes, Jeff Mudgett, is determined to prove a mind-boggling theory that H.H. Holmes and Britain's notorious serial killer, known as Jack the Ripper, were the same man. In addition... Mudgett leads an investigation that secured permission to exhume the presumed body of H.H. Holmes for DNA testing to determine whether he pulled off the ultimate con, escaping the gallows to lead a second secret life. Herman Mudgett, alias H.H. Holmes, was one of America's first serial killers rumored to have claimed as many as 200 lives in the late 19th century, a con man, opportunist, and evil genius. The crowning achievement of his dark deeds was the construction of a building later dubbed the Murder Castle, a hotel on Chicago's south side that he engineered to be a factory of death, complete with a gas chamber, dissection room, trap doors, and a basement furnace to destroy any trace of his sinister Work. Jeff Mudgett was living a normal life as a practicing attorney when at age 40 he was thrust into the most harrowing chapter of his life. Learning the facts about his ancestry plunged Mudgett into a full investigation about the forefather from whom he unexpectedly learned he was descended, the infamous serial killer H.H. Holmes. Welcome to the program, Jeff Mudgett. Hey, guys, thank you very much. As always, it's a pleasure and an honor. And before we start, can I just say, Eric, you just nailed that description. That <laughs> Did he not? Me. Yeah. Best oh, in the thanks. business. Best <laughs> in the business. But, you know, Jeff. Uh, um, you know, yeah. keep pouring it. Pour yeah, it on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, on. yeah. No, no, that's enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there it is. Uh, you know, we all love you. You know that, Eric. Uh, but, yeah, absolutely. Eric is one of the best in the business. Anyhow, <laughs> getting back to you, Jeff. Now, most of us, if not all of us, listening to this show have seen the show, American Ripper, on History Channel. And uh, really, it was it was really well done, number one. Number two, man, how did you get permission to exhume his body? You know, I mean, I, I, right away I thought, wow, how were they able to get in there and, and actually get uh, uh, scoops on the ground and start moving earth? Was, was that a big undertaking? 
You know what? That took us over almost a year to obtain permission from the Catholic Church, from the cemetery, from my family, and from the courts. And anyone who thinks exhumation is walking out to a graveyard, digging, <laughs> putting some shovels down, and then digging up a body is, is uh, sadly mistaken. This is something which requires lawyers, uh, administrators, and a lot a lot of money to get done. And without the backing of history and A&E, there's not a chance in heck it would have happened. I was going to say, wasn't he um, entombed in concrete when he was buried? That must have been hell to get through that. Mm-hmm. You know, when you guys tune in to episode six, you're going to see the entire process regarding the exhumation. And you're going to see that you know, when we identified the double plots that Holmes bought to have this cadaver buried there, no tombstone, the location was tough. And we went down the normal distance, the eight feet, and lo and behold, at that level, we found an empty pine box. Mm-hmm. We started calling it the decoy because, you know what, that empty pine box, we were changing history. Now, my co-host, Amaryllis Fox, who I, I bet you all agree. Wasn't she great last night? Yeah, she, yeah, very yeah, nice. she's yeah, awesome. She really is. No nonsense. I mean, former CIA chick with a freaky first name. <laughs> I love it. I call her Scully. Now, the network has a fit when I do, but I call her Scully. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that was a Fox show, correct? Yeah. Well, and also it shows how tough and logical she is. And, you know, scientific and all the training she went through, and it's exactly right on. So Amaryllis, I'm sitting there scratching my head. We've, we've got this empty grave with a box that's, you know, nothing in it. And she says, you know, Jeff, we've, we've got to go down a couple more feet. We can't stop here. Let's, let's go further. And everyone, she had to talk to everyone involved into it. We went down another two feet, guys, and we found yeah. that concrete sarcophagus uh. you mentioned. Interesting, and 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 of course we're we're not expecting you to ruin anything here, and so I will not even ask the obvious question of what was in it. That of course is for a later episode. But no, 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 let's go, let's go with it. There, there was a body in it. Was there? Was okay, okay. You guys bust through the concrete. You get into his crypt that had been covered for you know what a hundred years almost, or a little over a hundred years. Uh, with dirt. 120, 122, 123 uh, years. Uh, yeah. What did you find? You say you found a body, but was it the body? <laughs> well, well, and I'm going to give you guys right from my heart and soul. Here it is, all right? I'm on pins and needles. I'm awaiting a phone call that could come right now on your show regarding the results of the DNA testing. So when we lifted the skeleton out of the concrete, spooky, spooky, eerie stuff. Oh, I would imagine. And and Magilla captured it in such an amazing way that the audience is going to be glued to their seats watching this. The University of Pennsylvania, the archaeologists and anthropologists there, which I found out were some of the most renowned in the world, they, they were assisting us on this whole thing. They took possession of the skeleton, took it to the university, laid it all out for us, and then as, as we watched and as the cameras rolled, they took DNA from the skull 
mm-hmm. which we sent to the university in London, which has the reputation as the best in the world. And then I sent a sample of my own DNA for them to compare. And we're waiting right now for the results. And quite frankly, guys, the delay is starting to cause me to believe there are problems with that comparison. Um, mm. And i got to tell you, I haven't seen anything yet which would cause me to change my theories that H.H. H. Holmes was Jack the Ripper because the, the the I would have expected that DNA to come back in three days. It's been two months now. So so two now months, my gosh, yeah, that is a long time for DNA. Very long. I'm more at Povich is quicker. Did, I mean, well, my question would be from a skeleton. Sometimes it's difficult if there's no flesh. Sometimes they have to take a tooth out, and you know what I mean, to get a a good enough sample. Gotcha. Do you think that might be? The issue? No, but we found we found teeth, and they matched. Did you? Okay, good. They matched the photograph that was taken by the um, the prison at the time that he was examined before the the alleged execution, and they match. Now, what we're trying to do is find out if that cadaver matches my DNA, because as you both know, that's one of my theories that Holmes committed the greatest con on the American justice system that's ever been committed, and he walked away from that execution. And obviously, that DNA testing will determine yes or no, whether that's true or not. And, and guys, that's, that's one thing I love coming on your show for, because I get to explain to your audience. You know, you guys have authors, you have theorists on your show all the time. What we wanted to do in American Ripper, and what I talked history into doing is every step of the way I'm willing to go out on the edge with my theories. I'm willing to go on national television and see if they're true or not using the most modern forensic techniques available with Amaryllis right there determining if it's a yes or a no. Yeah. And and I got to tell you, that's one of the things I'm most proud of about the show. There's no baloney. I'm not, I'm not getting the well, BS that was brought up. Theories. This is yeah. going to be determined. And that was brought mm-hmm. up to me just the other day when, when you come on the show. You know, a few people said, do you think he believes any of this? I said, would you go on national television risking being uh, humiliated if he didn't believe it? Well, no. no. Well, th- there you go. Mm-hmm. You know, would you put your own theories out there? Would you put your neck on the chopping block if you didn't truly believe it? Now, how has one thing we haven't discussed is how does London, how does England take this news? How, how, what do they think? Oh yeah, no kidding. You know, but right before I got on the air with you, uh, A and E notified me that they're just being flooded with interview requests from London now about my theories of Holmes and the Ripper. And I had explained, I explained to history in A and E that. You know, you guys do some great television work, but prepare yourself for the tidal wave that's coming regarding any Jack the Ripper theory. It's an issue which, you know, raises such anger amongst people. I still haven't sure. figured out why. I still haven't. Well, you, you know, well, people people get so invested, though. Yeah. I mean, you look at the time and effort and personal money like uh, Patricia Cornwell, for instance, that author, you know, put her own money into trying to figure out who it is. It's like. It's this it is the unsolved case, the unsolved case. So people have like a lot of passion surrounding it. It's interesting. Although you'd think that England would I hate to say this, but you'd think they'd be thrilled if it was an American. 
You know, it's, it's, well, and people ask me the same question, Jeff, why would you want to prove your ancestor is Jack the Ripper? Mm-hmm. And that's a great question, which I've struggled with for a number of years. And, you know, I think it has to do, Clarissa, you could help me with this. As human beings, we all have this need to establish our origin and our identities, uh, where we come from, our roots. And, you know, I've been hearing so much material lately about Holmes and the legends and the lores. I just, I just decided, you know what, as an obligation to the innocents that he murdered that haven't been identified either. That's one of the funny things. We spend so much time trying to identify Jack the Ripper, and we haven't spent a nickel trying to identify Holmes's victims. And I that's think true. that's backwards. Mm-hmm. I, no, I agree with you. I think that victims are so often completely forgotten. Uh, uh, you know, barely any details come out about them in books that, you know, they're named, but you don't get a good picture of who they are. And I think that it's human nature in a lot of ways um, to if there's someone in your past that has kind of a dubious past, it seems to be sort of the American way anyway to kind of ignore it. Yeah. You know, Th- that person didn't exist in our history. So I think it's very uh, good of you and very noble to try to get down to the bottom of someone in your history, your own personal familial history, that wasn't the best person in, in the world. I mean, I, I think that everything makes up who we are, right? I mean, the good and the bad. And, and so many people just ignore that other piece. And we've all got some history that we may not be proud of, everybody. No, I think I think that's right on. And Let's face it, the reason I'm here talking with you, Joel, you, Eric, and you, Clarissa, are the conscious decisions of this perhaps the most evil man in American history. If he had made certain decisions, I wouldn't be here alive today. But that fact has nothing to do with any choice I made. Mm-hmm. It's just thrust upon me. Well, I was going to say, rather yeah. than, it's not like you had a choice. Yeah, rather than, rather than be ashamed of where I came from, I just decided, no. He's not my ancestor. My heritage, my destiny, and my obligation to the victims are. Mm-hmm. And that, again, that's noble of you. I mean, you know, because a lot of times we want to glamorize the perpetrator, especially historical atrocities like the like uh, the Jack the Ripper or H. H. Holmes. We want to kind of glamorize that a little bit, but we forget about who they killed. They're just they're just uh, cannon fodder for the story. Where these people all had families and and livelihoods and 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 lives of their own that were cut short by these individuals, and um, now I understand that you have actually tried to uh, make these victims known to some resistance. Would you mind talking about that a little bit? Well, as you know, there's some naysayers out there. There's a healthy debate now about how many people. Holmes actually murdered. I tell you the truth, I don't know how many he murdered. Yeah. I know Larson opined that it could be 200. I know, you know, many people discuss how many people were associated with Holmes that somehow just went missing 50, 60, 70. I know Holmes confessed to 27, but some were found later alive. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, I don't want to really get into that, guys, because until we get permission to excavate the grounds at 63rd and Wallace and find direct evidence of DNA from victims 
really all this is just kind of going round and round the, the mulberry bush as far as I'm concerned. Well, you know, Holmes is also somewhat of a BS artist of uh, pretty good notoriety. You, you know, he liked to the mess greatest, with people. The greatest ever. You know, yeah, he liked to mess with people, too. So he wasn't above doing that. I mean, that was just something he really enjoyed doing was manipulation as well. You know, he's, he was. you're right. He was a pathological liar when when you read anything he writes. You always have to remember <laughs> this man had a motive for anything he's saying. There was money or women involved, mostly money. And even his signatures, he was a master of forgery. He taught the women that worked for him how to notarize each of his documents themselves with his signature. It's, it's so ridiculous for me to have people come up now and say, well, here's a Holmes document. We can prove what he was doing at this time. No, no, you can't. You've got to go further than that. And that's why history, I was so happy for history to agree. You know, they, they spent close to a million dollars on this exhumation. We went to London. We tried to compare DNA there with the Catherine Edo shawl. We're trying to get the federal government to allow us to spend many, many more millions excavating those grounds at the murder castle. And these, these people of history are interested in finding out the truth. And, and I think, quite frankly, they're tired of just another author standing up and saying, this is what I believe, and then walking off yeah. the stage. Well, yeah, you don't want it to become either. And there's always the danger of it becoming, uh, you know, uh, Geraldo's vault. You know, you don't want that to happen, Jeff. You know. Well, I think we I think we're past that point. We we have a uh, we have a cadaver. We're having DNA tested. It's it's an amazing scene. You're even going to see guys me hold the skull up of this cadaver as Hamlet did in Shakespeare. Well, how did and you feel? I mean, did you Yorick, I knew him well. Oh, oh, I mean, oh are you kidding? You kidding? I was almost sick to my stomach. I was going to say, was. did you feel like any kind of pull to these remains? I mean, I've heard of people talk about, you know, when they get close to family stuff, that there's almost almost a DNA pull. Did you almost feel that? Did you almost feel like, wow, man, I, this feels really odd? Oh, yeah, there's a scene, and it'll be, it'll be on the show. And, you know, we've got 20 engineers. We've got scientists. We've got camera crews. We've got two news news channels in Philadelphia flying helicopters over us filming the whole thing, you know, without permission. We've got cameramen hiding behind trees. <laughs> and all of a sudden, guys, it just got too much. And I screamed out, will you all just stop? Yeah. Yeah. Give me some respect here. This isn't something we're not Indiana Jones finding the Ark of the Covenant. This has to do with my family and ancestors. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Give me give me some space. And I and I sat there and the director jumps in. He goes, hey, everybody, Jeff's exactly right. Give him a, give him a moment here. And I look down in the grave, Eric, and the skull is staring up at me. OK, and I don't know why, but I started emotionally actually crying a little bit. And I sat there asking myself, why the hell are you emotional over perhaps this most evil man that ever lived? If it's him, if it's him. And I don't, I don't know how to answer that. But they, they got it all on film, and you're going to see it on, on American Ripper. Well, I think I can address it a bit. Uh, first of all, it can be very mixed feelings. I mean, powerful emotions, that doesn't mean it's, it's necessarily positive. But, I mean, you're, gonna, you're going to have some sort of 
hereditary, some sort of relationship feeling, no matter how, no matter who that person was, he was still your great-great-grandfather. So that's on the one hand. But on the other hand, it's what is that head? What does that skull represent? Think of all the pain and the suffering and all the victims, as you've been talking about quite eloquently. Uh, Whatever that actual number is, it's way more than it should be. It's way more than none. And so there's the other side of that coin. So I, absolutely, I, I see it. I have no problem understanding at all why you would feel very emotional and a, and a welter of emotions that are mixing among themselves and perhaps even amplifying themselves. What I'd love to do, we have about five more minutes before the uh, the bottom of the hour, but coming out of that, I'd love to just a little bit of a recap and just get the background uh, as to why you came to feel, and it sounds like you still do, um, that H.H. H. Holmes, your great-great-grandfather, could well also be Jack the Ripper, because I think that's a really, really interesting story. And I was going to ask, which you've already van- already answered it, if, you'd, if you had been able yet to get into that ground once you found out that it wasn't covered by the post office. It's basically, what, a parking lot, I guess, uh, and, and see what you can find there. But you're saying, no, you haven't been able to do that yet. But, by no, the way – oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Jeff, please. Sorry. No, no, go ahead, Clarissa, go ahead. Oh, I, I just, like, uh, regardless if somebody is your uh, relative or not, I, I would assume that if you're not, um, not, let's say, a medical examiner or a coroner or something like that, just being around a, a, a body, a, a human, you know, like, let's say this was not your relative, Jeff. Let, let's say the person that is buried there is not H.H. H. Holmes. You were holding the skull of a person that lived and breathed 120 years ago. You know, that's a pretty heavy thing regardless. You know, I'm glad you, you, you frame it like that because before we opened the sarcophagus up, I had a couple of friends contact me and say, Jeff, we don't know who's in there yet, but be careful. There's a reason he was encapsulated in that concrete if it's home. Yeah. There's a reason no one wanted him ever to see the light of day again. Think again about opening that. And all of a sudden, and I'm not, I'm, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not supernatural oriented. Mm-hmm. But those warnings that I was given kind of chilled me to my bones. I, I believe you. I know that, that you guys believe, you know, Eric and, and Joel believe more in the paranormal than, than I do. But I think that... Um, for instance, I mean, this is a long, long time ago, but the, the sorry if I gross anyone out. Uh, the, the first time that I held a human brain um, was I felt very oddly superstitious after that, Jeff. I, I, I totally relate with that. It's bizarre because I don't feel that way either. But the thought that this was in someone's head that held all of their hopes and dreams and, and maybe their their worst, you know, nightmares. And it, it was in my hands. I, I there was something undeniably strange and kind of superstitious about that. I felt odd about it. I got to tell you, when we get back from the break, I'll tell you a story about the brain that was in the skull after Ooh, 125 oh, years. Yeah. Oh, I so want to hear that. Yeah, that that, that will be yeah. good. And, uh, you know, Jeff, it, it, it's uh, we got to tackle some of the naysayers uh, that are yeah, out there. Yeah. We also got to tackle some of, uh, some of these issues that are floating around out there. I'd rather, I'd like to clear the air with Jeff. Uh, that's the kind of show we are. And Jeff knows that we're not afraid to, 
to tackle these tough issues. We're going to go to break a little bit early just so we have a little bit more time on the other side to tackle all that stuff, including what that brain looked like inside of that 120-plus-year-old corpse. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this. Rape baby on my heart Tell it like it is I can't shake you baby from my thoughts Your picture's on my fridge And I've been winding up the Moax records Playing for the kids The old songs light up in the dark This is Jen McGowan, founder of Wayward Souls Promotions, a company dedicated to helping individuals, teams, radio shows, and others that are seeking exposure for the individual events, conventions, and shows. We offer a wide variety of advertising, such as web-based articles, social media posts, podcast advertisement, and so on. Contact us at paranormalpromotion at gmail.com, visit us on Facebook at Wayward Souls Promotions, and visit our website at www.waywardsoulspromotions.com. Author Steve Asher brings us Hauntings of Trilogy, Steve's first book, Hauntings of the Kentucky State Penitentiary. This first installment of the trilogy tells us the tale of the Kentucky State Penitentiary and why it's so haunted. With every turn of the page will be something new and terrifying. Pick up Steve's new book, Hauntings of the Kentucky State Penitentiary, Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and all better bookstores everywhere. Anavar Media LCC is a dedicated team of professionals committed to helping business development scale and protect their websites, mobile applications, enterprise software solutions in the Northeast Ohio area. Locally owned since 2012, our client-centered values truly sets Anavar apart. Contact us today to learn how you can get 25% off your first project. Call them at 234-380-4852. Again, that's 234-380-4852. Or visit them at www.anavar.com. Again, that's www.anavar.com. You're listening to After Hours AM. Do you have a question for the guests or even the host? That's really easy. Go ahead and email those questions to afterhoursam at gmail.com. Are you feeling like picking up the phone and being part of the show? Call us at 612-326-6874. 612-326-6874. Come be part of the madness. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Well, I got an old radio song It's been rolling around in my head I've been waiting on you But I better not hold my breath And I got told that it wouldn't take long But I've been waiting here ever since I've been waiting on you but I better not hold my breath. And I love the beauty of the And welcome back to After Hours AM, everybody. And we are speaking with Mr. Jeff Mudgett tonight of American Ripper. I'm your host, Joel Sturgis. And right along with me 
Eric Olson and Dr. Clarissa Cole. And when we were leaving the air, we were going to get into the cringeworthy stuff. So if you got kind of a queasy stomach about what might be kicking around inside someone's brain, this might be a good time for you to turn down the radio. But Jeff is about to unveil. Man, Jeff, I'm going to let you do it. I'm not even going to go into it. You tell us what you found. All right, so we're at the University of Pennsylvania. The skeleton is laid out on the table. And, and you know, quite frankly, uh, I'm, I'm torn for, obviously, for Holmes to have pulled off this escape from hanging and then had this massive conspiracy to where someone else was buried in his place would have required, which he was, an incredible genius. And, you know, so I'm, I'm there realizing, while I believe it was possible, the DNA testing is going to establish yes or no. I mean, there's no way to get around that, especially when you're on a direct line from me, my father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, and then Holmes, okay? Mm-hmm. So the, the scientists are all assuring me, yes, they will be able to establish it was him or not. Okay. So, you know, we're there in the in the laboratory and the judge has ordered the body to be put back the way we found it as as possible. This judge was an amazing man. He allowed us to do this as long as the archdiocese agreed, but he said, "You guys make a media event out of this and I'm shutting it down." I mean, he was really cool. Yeah. And he said, "Now you put it back the way you found it." And and so, you know, McGilla and A&E and history, they're all doing their best to make sure that happens. So we're there in the laboratory. I've got this skeleton laid out, and this skull is looking me in the eyes. It's terrifying. And Clarissa, as you discussed earlier, the only thing going through my mind, me having been a student of Shakespeare for many years, was that Hamlet scene where he holds, I can't remember the name of the character, but he holds the skull up and asks, to be or not to be. So yes. I asked the director, can I, can you guys film me holding the skull in my hand? And they all jump at that. They all want that. Absolutely. So I, I grab the skull, the scientists make sure I'm holding it properly so that nothing is damaged. Or so. And I'm looking up at it. And as I've got the skull in my hand, Eric, something flops inside it. <laughs> Okay. I okay. love those skull flops. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I almost peed my pants. And I turned to the, the, the main scientist, Janet, who America's going to fall in love with. This, she's 65 years old and just the, the most amazing brain you're ever going to meet. And she's won prizes all over the world. And I say, Janet, what's going on here? There's something flopping in the skull. <laughs> she runs. She runs across the laboratory. What are you talking about, Jeff? What are you, crazy? No. She grabs it for me, and it flops in her hand. So then her assistant comes over, and they're turning the skull to where they can see through where the spine connects with the skull. And lo and behold, the brain is still there after over a century. Wait a second. Hold hold on. That's insane. That's why they can't preserve life, supposedly. That's why all this cryogenic stuff is not supposed to work, because the brain starts breaking down immediately upon death. So you... Well, Well, this one didn't. Oh, so it's uh, now, now, Jeff, and I don't mean to be overly graphic. You mean squishy, oh, go for it, go for squishy, it, squishy, fresh brain. 
flopping around inside uh, this skull. And you yeah. say, damn it, Janet. Why is his brain still in here? They were yeah. completely. And you, know what, and you know what this scientist tells me? Huh? Jeff, I don't know why it's still there. It shouldn't be. So are they yeah. going to remove the brain and test that and, and maybe get more? Now, let's just say for argument's sake, just for this example, let's just say this is Holmes. Could you imagine yeah. the scientific data and knowledge that could be gained from that brain being able to study should it right be on that, right should on. it be intact right on. and that's what i told him i told him Rem- you have my permission i'll get my father and my uncle to agree open the skull remove the brain preserve it so that one day when our technology catches up with this piece of evidence of if it is home the greatest serial killer that ever lived mm-hmm. keep it so that we can study it one day and yeah, I think they went. I think they went back to the judge and asked his permission. I'm wait. I haven't heard the results yet of that either. Uh, to be well, honest, see, this is the scary part, though. Unless it was put in formula, you know, like a formaldehyde. Um, my guess is that it may have been preserved because the the tomb was encased in some way. Yeah, right. Um, if there's no air, uh, that can happen. But if there's air, I worry about breakdown. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, see, I'm more interested in, and of course, I know exactly what you're talking about, but Clarissa, could you imagine, especially in your field, having the Holmes brain, let's assume it's intact, being able to see all where, maybe where the wiring went wrong? Well, that's, see, this is kind of a misnomer though, all right? I mean, I don't want to get into all this neuropsych stuff, but... Typically, where we see differences in the brains of, um, let's say, psychopaths, and Jeff, I apologize, I'm not necessarily saying he was definitely a psychopath, but do you mind if I kind of go down that that road a little bit? I, I don't, I don't have any doubt he was. Okay, okay. well, he just didn't want to offend anyone. So I, it, it just it, where we see the differences is typically in brain function. So yeah. on a PET scan, let's say. Um, of living people. A non-psychopath has certain areas of the brain light up during emotional things, um, when they're watching emotional things, for instance, that a psychopath, their brain does not light up at those emotion-causing things. However, a psychopath's brain will light up at violent things. Now, it's not a structural difference of the brain. It is um, how the brain functions electrically, um, chemically, that makes the psychopath different. So I doubt that structurally we would see any differences unless Holmes was as intelligent as they said he was, in which case we would potentially see more white matter like we saw in Einstein's brain, for instance. Now, the size when it comes to brains, I'm asking everybody no, here, matter? No difference. No, it no. doesn't matter. Size doesn't Size matter. Size does not matter. Okay. Uh, white cells, though, glial cells in particular, do matter. Now, if he had a bunch more glial cells than the average person, that means he thought faster and was likely more intelligent than the average person. So that I would love to know. Wow, so, man! Well, I mean, I gotta, I gotta tell you, this this was television history, and I hope your listening audience turns into the show because. I can't wait to see it myself. I haven't seen the scenes yet. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know when I talked to you on the uh, phone getting ready for the show, you hadn't even seen the screener. 
you decided to wait until it was live on history. And, and I applaud you for that because I, I would have been all over that. No, let me see that <laughs> no screener. Kidding. But uh, Jeff chose you know, not my, to. My, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, but Jeff chose not to. And I, I, we, me and Eric had the screener. It took everything I had, Jeff. Not to say, hey, Jeff, I got the screener, man. You want to take a look? No, no. <laughs> I, I, I tell you what, I was so nervous yesterday. And luckily, um, the East Coast got to see it, you know, obviously earlier than I did. So then all my fans on Facebook wrote, Jeff, the show's great. Don't worry about it. You're, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. So when I turned it on at 10 o'clock here, I was, I was fine, and I watched it, and I really enjoyed it. But I've got to tell you, I, I was so nervous. My buddy, Kim Estes, who up who's up for an Emmy this year in Hollywood. He told me there's some actors that won't even watch their own movies. Oh, I believe it. I do not listen to my own shows, um, generally speaking. I don't, I don't listen to shows that I do, unless I absolutely have to. Really? Yeah, I just don't like to sound my own voice. I, I go, oh. <laughs> and then I hear all my mess-ups. Oh, I'm like, oh, man, I could ask that question oh, yeah. better. Oh, I could have yeah. done this better. And so that's why I don't do it. And I don't think, Eric, do you do that? Do you listen to our shows? Uh, I listen periodically just to kind of get a, a, a checkup and see how I'm doing and see how I feel about yeah. things. I, I, and I, I'm, I'm up and down about hearing my own voice. Yeah, I mean, in the old days, oh, I hated it. You know, most people do, I think, when you're young. I, I'm pretty used to it now. Because I've heard it enough that it doesn't alarm me. But no, I don't. I don't sit and listen to every single show. It was kind of fun when uh, Clarissa, Clarissa and I were did did a hour long. Uh, no, it was only a half hour long podcast uh, for a while, and so that's very intensive and lots of editing and lots of listening. So uh, that was odd for a while because I was essentially, or at least I was helping doing the editing. So I would hear the same things over and over. And, and you really do kind of become desensitized to it. Sure. But uh, I, I totally understand that. Yeah, and you're actually, I, I remember reading, there's a lot of actors who have never seen some of never. their really key performances yeah. and never watched them. Yeah. I, I, yeah, you're well, absolutely correct. Well, that's correct. the way I was, that's the way I was feeling. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, we got to take a little bit of a left turn here, and we we got to you know there's there's a lot of people saying Jeff man you know we love you we we like you but you're nuts. There's a lot of that out there, uh, and um, you know they're saying that H H Holmes records are between July eighteen eighty eight and April eighteen eighty nine. And also records clearly showing him working on a home in northern Illinois where there was even land disputes. Uh, how do you overcome those kind of dates when somebody does that and they say, well, this is where we he was. Uh, how do you overcome those dates? That That's kind of a problem. Well, I've, I've heard about those claims. I've only seen one alleged document about that. Um, I, I like to call those guys the, you know, the so-called historians because I call them Google cowboys. They, they sit in front of a, a computer with a keyboard and they pull up a, a, a newspaper article from the 1890s or a document from some alleged archive, which sure. they haven't validated, they haven't substantiated, they haven't made sufficient to actually present in a court of law as evidence. And they make this theory or opinion not and not on the grounds that I'm doing mine based on forensic science, but they have these opinions. And the one that I saw, Joel, 
was, now check this out. The gentleman's going to try to establish where Holmes was from a voter registration log in Chicago, the land where the voting dead was invented. <laughs> and, 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 and here we're dealing with Dr. Death himself, and yeah. we're going to establish where he was because someone walked down the street and said Holmes lived at this place registering him to vote. And I got to tell you, that's if it wasn't so ridiculous, and I have so much respect for your show, I'd laugh out loud. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I, I need I to see, I need to see more of it. I need to see more of it. I'm going to look at each document with an open mind because you know what, guys? If someone can prove that my theory is incorrect, I'll stand up and take my medicine. I yeah. haven't seen it yet. And and, and of course, Jeff, I, I, as you know, we respect you immensely, and we also know that you don't dodge questions. And that's something Ever. that we talked about that I, I said I, I found that very refreshing and admirable because, you know, uh, there might have been a guest or two right, Eric, that tap dance a little bit more than others. Just saying, you know, when the oh, hard questions came sure. along and, and, and another glaring, I shouldn't say glaring, but another murmuring of a question is money. Oh, Jeff's doing this for money. Jeff's doing this for money. He's definitely doing this for money. Why else would we be doing it? Why don't you tell us why you're doing it? I don't think that you've ever sat there and said, this is why, you know, to us anyway, this is what goes on the back of my head. This is what drives me to want to know these answers. <laughs> the money question always uh, amuses me because if people knew, uh, Joel, how much money out of my own pocket I've spent on this journey to you know, try to establish these theories as fact or not, they'd be amazed that anyone be, would be silly enough to do it rather than just go fishing or play golf. Well, they don't understand, and, though. Now, you've been at this a long time before history ever approached you to make a show. Ever. I mean, I, uh, 10 years before they came. So it wasn't and, like last week you said, oh, you know, I want to make a show. You know, so I, I maybe... Maybe that's lost a little bit in translation with the audience, um, you know, because maybe they didn't buy bloodstains. Maybe they didn't see you uh, doing your TED Talk. Maybe they, they didn't see those things, and maybe that's where, just speaking out loud anyway, that problem comes into play. Because I do remember you telling me flat out that you want to, on your own nickel, erect uh, a monument to the, to the victims we know about of Holmes. Yeah, I wrote a letter to the, uh, the head of the post office in Washington, D.C. and said that I would like to erect a bronze monument to the victims without ever mentioning H.H. H. Holmes. I wanted to make it to the victims. I don't want it to have anything to do with my book, a movie, a television show, anything. Just the victims there. And obviously we can't identify them yet. Maybe we never will. But there's, there's, there's a way. There's a way to do it properly. I told D.C., I'll pay for this myself. I'll do it in a way that it's not a danger to anyone. It won't interfere with post office operations. Can I please do this? They said, no. They said, plant a bush. And I said, a bush? <laughs> wow. Wow, that was oh kind of unfeeling. <laughs> if, you know, if you know Chicago and if you know 63rd and Wallace, you'll know how silly planting a bush is. <laughs> 
And uh, guys, I got to tell you, once they see how responsibly we handle the exhumation, once they see how responsibly we're going to put everything back the way it was, once they see how we didn't make a media circus of it, I think when I go back to them, they're going to give me permission not only to erect the monument, but also to do the excavation there using those same scientists, those archaeologists and anthropologists from the University of Pennsylvania. I, you know, I really, really, truly hope that comes to pass. I really do, because the victims, again, as I said earlier, are, are uh, quite oftentimes forgotten in the lore. And that would that would uh, be a wonderful thing to see uh, something there. Well, Clarissa's I, mentioned before, that can, many times. Yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, before we go any further, I, I I always I wanted to do this on your show. I did this on an interview the other day with NBC, and I want to. Rep- I was thinking I need to repeat it with Joel, Eric, and Clarissa. You know, when you talk, and this is what I. Clarissa, I wanted to ask you this from from uh, maybe your training. You could help me. I don't understand why people get so angry about some ex-lawyer's theory that H.H. H. Holmes may have been Jack the Ripper. And because when you think of these two gentlemen, Ripper was the junior varsity team compared to H.H. H. Holmes. In my opinion... History should be trying to prove Jack the Ripper was H.H. H. Holmes, not me proving Holmes was Jack the Ripper. Yet I get this anger wherever I go when I raise the circumstantial evidence. You guys wait till you see the evidence we unearth from our investigation and Amarillo's spines. Um, you're going to be amazed. And have we conclusively proved Holmes was Jack the Ripper? No, I'm going to be honest with you. Have we established probable cause that if Holmes was alive today, we could have a a warrant issued for his arrest, he would be incarcerated, and then stand trial for the murders of Catherine Eddowes and Elizabeth Stride? Yes, and that's what I was trained to decide and opine upon. It's not something I'm making up. And when you see the show, and as we lay out each piece of evidence, I think all three of you are going to be amazed. I think people get very attached to their theories. You know, it's the, that's the, and I see, I mean, honestly, I see this in law enforcement all the time where they, and, and the victims families too, they will attach to somebody that they think is the perpetrator uh, and really attach hard to that theory because they put time, they put effort into it. And then DNA comes out that proves that this is not the person. And I have seen people, including DAs, uh, uh, you know, cops, victims, families, look me in the eye and say, but he's the one that did it, even though we have DNA that proves that he didn't. People yeah. can get very emotionally well, invested in these cases. That's because people need to get over themselves a little bit here and, and look at the facts for what they are. And, and a great question just came in from the Facebook crowd again, you know, I'll definitely join the Facebook group over there, the After Hours AM, America's Most Haunted. Jeff, in your opinion, how did uh, Holmes elude death? Uh, who was his Who was his uh, accomplice, in your opinion, to to uh, avoid the gallows? You know, that's a great question, and the, one of the the problems I have about the alleged execution is every major newspaper 
covered the execution and burial. Every major newspaper had their best reporter there. When you go back and read each article that they produced, none of them are the same. They're all different regarding essential facts about whether he had a hood on, whether he was hanged three times, whether the doctors ruled him not dead and had to read, they, they took him back up the scaffold and dropped him again, or whether he was immediately dead, whether he was dropped into a box and concrete was applied there at the scaffolding in the prison, whether a mule team was required to drag him and the concrete to the grave, mm -hmm. whether he was taken to a mausoleum and let lie for three days before he was buried. Guys, everything, every essential fact is different. How can all of these major American newspapers and their best reporters have got it so messed up? Mm. Well, yeah, yeah, I've noticed that there's different accounts from, it depends on what outlet you want to believe uh, about that account of, of what happened. And, there, and, you, and, and that's what frustrates me so much about these theorists. They, they go through these articles, um, Joel, and they pick out which fact fits their theory, and they delete the ones that don't from the same article. You can't do that. If you're going to use an article and say this is the truth, you can't simply remove portions that you don't think fit your story. You've got to use those too. That's yeah. how evidence at trial works. And, uh, you know, it's, just, it's frustrating for me, and that's why I finally put my foot down and said, listen, We've got to dig him up. We've got to dig this grave up. We've got to find out who's there. We've got to put the best scientists in the world who applying their knowledge to proving one way or another whether these legends and lores are true or not. Jeff, real quick, what evidence uh, have you come across thus far that supports the theory that he did escape the gallows when he was allegedly executed? There's... There's a Journal of American Medical Association report, Clarissa, from the prison doctor that inspected Holmes before the alleged execution. And the opening statement this doctor makes as he's walking in Holmes' cell is, wait a minute, this isn't the guy I recognize from the photographs and the, and the drawings in the articles. Who's this? Interesting. Okay? And, then, and, then, and then the doctor says, wait a minute, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this guy a Jeopardy quiz. He starts asking him about medical conditions, and he says, "This guy didn't go to medical school." I, and and so it, when he and, he and then he makes a conclusion. You guys are going to love this. He says, "This is the most degenerate-looking human being I've ever seen." Guy, oh, wow. this, guy had, this this guy had four wives. He had hundreds of mistresses. He had babies. He was he was described by the newspapers in court as this elegant, you know, debonair fellow that kicked his lawyers mm -hmm. off the trial and defended himself. It doesn't add up. And then. You know, one of the, the famous historians from Chicago did some research for me and found out that that Holmes curse, you know, anyone involved in the arrest, the execution, or the alleged burial either died or suffered misfortune. There were 41 people, and the New York Times wrote about it. So, you know, when people say, oh, Mudge is just making this theory up, no, I'm not. There are strange things which, needs, which need to be addressed, and that's why we exhumed him. That's why we're testing the DNA. Man. <laughs> Who is this degenerate? Boy, is he ugly. Yeah, wow. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll send, I'll send you guys a copy of the, of the doctor's I, I would love that. I, I have a sneaky feeling they're going to say that when they come across me. <laughs> Who is that degenerate? 
so, Jeff, what if he did live? What is your theory on on where he went and how he lived and and uh, you know how long did he live, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Any, any thoughts or any information on any of that? You know, I'd just be I'd, I'd be giving you guys my best shot with imagination involved. I, I don't really know, and those are great questions that someone has to address. If this DNA comes back negative, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this this has to be looked into by um, by smarter people than I am because it's something that that uh, you know we're changing well, we're changing American history. I was going to say think. it changes everybody's theory. Okay, uh, all the. All the naysayers, it kind of puts them on notice that there's more going on here than they would like to admit then. Because, okay, if if Holmes was actually able to elude the hangman, well, he had to have gone somewhere. And someone that well-known isn't going to stick around. I mean, I'm out of here, man. And you know what? And And I enlist the three of your help. Can we just ask the naysayers to sit back and wait until the DNA results are published? Can we just wait a little bit, be patient? I agree with you. I agree. Let's see where the smoke, you know, when the smoke all settles, let's see what's left. There yeah, will be objective evidence. Yeah, and if there's anything I've learned many years in, in this field, it's that you don't know until the facts are in. So don't don't jump to conclusions because you really don't know. Yeah, and, and these bones have been there over a century. Can't we just wait a couple of months before yeah. we start yanging and calling? You, you guys should see the names I'm being called because of this quest, this journey I've been on. And my and my willingness to stand on national television and have a fool made of myself if this DNA comes back positive. Yeah. I mean, it, it was something I thought about a long time. And you know what? Okay, I'm going to do it because this is the way investigations should be conducted. This is the way theories should be decided. This is the way legend and lore should be. You know, we should find out yes or no the facts that you know of the world we live in and and i'm quite proud of that but i gotta tell you i'm nervous about how the results come out yeah yeah i'd love to have you back on the show when they do come out no sweat i'd love to come uh, uh, you know yeah. i'd love to have you back on and we, we can discuss it and um you know and you're with friendly company that to be honest with you, uh, Jeff, uh, first time we talked with you, we were, were all like, hmm, Holmes' grandson, hmm. And then we got to know you and realize what kind of caliber of individual you are, by the way. I, and I don't, I'm not saying that because you're on the show. I'm not saying that to sound nice. That is the truth. I, I think all three of us can can agree to that. I yes, indeedy. Absolutely. Of course. And I think it comes through on the show, too. And, and – uh you got a theory, you're defending it, you're seeking evidence, and you're going to live with the results. I don't know what more anyone could ask of you. Uh, in my opinion, it's the way it should be done. I would wholeheartedly agree. And wow, look at the time. We are done, guys. We are at the end of the show. Jeff, I would love to thank you for coming on. Of course, it's American Ripper, everybody. You can catch it next week, same time, next Tuesday. At the same time, eight parts. You're going to want to watch all of them as this all unfolds because this is a real story. This is this is really Jeff's lineage being put out there for the world. I mean, his, his ancestors. 
So you're going to want to watch that. But on behalf of myself, of course, Joel Sturgis, Mr. Eric Olson over there, and the beautiful and talented Dr. Clarissa Cole, we'd like to thank you for listening to this edition of After Hours AM, and keep watching the History Channel on American Ripper. Thank you for listening to this edition of After Hours AM, and please remember to like us on Facebook and also follow us over on Twitter. 